This is The Guardian. Today, how the Roald Dahl rewrites spark debate across the world. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Hannah, and I'm here to tell you a story. It's about a boy who travels around the world in a ginormous peach. On his journey, he meets a fantastic array of creatures, and humans too. Some are kind, and some are creepy. Listen to this. Aunt Sponge was terrifically fat, and tremendously flabby at that. Aunt Spiker was thin as a wire and dry as a bone, only drier. You might have heard this tale before. It's called James and the Giant Peach, and it was written by Roald Dahl. Perhaps you read it when you were little. Perhaps you relished how wicked the language was. Well, if you opened a new copy of that book today, you'd find the words have shifted a little. Aunt Sponge is no longer fat or flabby. She's now a nasty old brute. And Aunt Spiker is no longer thin as a wire. And these aren't the only dull characters who've been rewritten. These changes, and hundreds more, have been brought about by the publishers, Puffin, in an attempt to better reflect the society we live in today. Some say they're necessary others that they amount to censorship. The children's author and comedian David Baddiel believes it's much more nuanced than that. It's okay to change his words, actually. I don't completely agree with anyone who says, oh, no, they're sacrosanct, they should never be changed. Maybe some of his words should be changed, but they should be changed by people who understand that style of writing, understand how to make it still funny, and then they can take out the stuff that might be really horrible more than 250 million copies of Dahl's books have been sold, and decades after they were written, they're still among the most read children's titles in the world. From The Guardian, I'm Hannah Moore. Today in Focus, rewriting Roald Dahl. Lucy Knight, you're the commissioning editor for books at The Guardian, and you've been looking at the changes that have been made to Roald Dahl's novels. How did they come to people's attention? So The Telegraph broke the story that hundreds of small changes have been made in the 2022 edition of quite a lot of Roald Dahl's 
books for children compared to the 2001 editions. I mean, very small changes in the in the main, and obviously compared to kind of the word count of the books, it's actually quite minimal. But yes, hundreds of individual changes. So Puffin, the publishers, provided a response defending their decision, where they pointed out that these are routine changes, and usually that wouldn't be anything to shout about people presumably because they love the book so much um have kind of got quite strong views about them and so the story's garnered a lot of attention and actually since then puffin have come out and said actually we're going to publish another set of Raldal books uh, called the Raldal classics collection and they're going to be unaltered so i'm i'm guessing more similar to the 2001 editions the Classics Collection, which comes out later this year, will sit alongside the newly released Puffin Dahl books for young readers. And they're really stressing now that the 2022 editions are for young readers and are designed for children who may be navigating written content independently for the first time. But yeah, I can't see the controversy going away because the 2022 books will still exist and they are being aimed at younger readers. So those people who really are against the changes that have been made in those editions, I'm sure are still going to have problems with those books. Yeah, and there has been a furor over this. The Prime Minister even got involved. He said that publishers shouldn't gobble funk with words, which is a reference from one of Dahl's books, the BFG. He's clearly a fan. And then Camilla, the Queen Consort, also seemed to be weighing in. She urged authors to resist curbs on freedom of expression. Why does dull holds such a place in our collective consciousness obviously that's such a a hard question to answer because you can't definitively say why people love a certain book or a certain author um but obviously we can guess and my view would probably be that it's a few things um one that they're very funny and funny in that kind of visceral way that young children particularly enjoy you know, like the BFG has a whole section about farts. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of there's lots of stuff like that, which I think a lot of children really enjoy. Also, there's the nostalgia element because parents who really enjoyed the books when they were children now want to read those books to their children. Um, I think actually Quentin Blake's illustrations have quite a big part to play because they're so recognisable. And of course, you know, the estate and the Roald Dahl Story Company, I think, have been quite savvy um, granting adaptation rights to, for example, the Royal Shakespeare Company and Tim Minchin for the Matilda the Musical, which is now a film as well. This school is full of rebels. Yo! What is your name? Matilda Wormwood. Uh, and I think they've kind of been quite good at making sure that there are these fresh takes on Rod Dahl's books happening. So as you said, the earlier editions will still be available to buy, but in the updated versions, what kinds of changes will people see? They mostly cover certain categories, including weight, mental health, violence, gender and race. So it's mostly language around those things that's been changed. For example, Augustus Gloop from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, rather than being described as enormously fat, he's just described now as enormous. And in the twits, a weird African language is just an African language. There's also been 
the words crazy and mad have been removed uh, and replaced with other words across several of the books. How significant do those changes seem to you? They don't seem to me to be massive changes. I can see why people are kind of a bit puzzled by some of the changes and perhaps the impact of them because something like enormous rather than enormously fat still kind of carries the same sentiment, Mm. um, which is still, you know, could be read as a kind of fat phobic or body shaming sentiment. Maybe you might ask, what's the point if it's so minimal? But then I would also say, what's the point of making such a fuss about it if it's so minimal? So let's talk about the process by which these changes will have been made then. So Dahl died 32 years ago. And so any decision about what's done to his work goes through his estate. What process will they have gone through then? Obviously, they would have worked in conjunction with the publisher, Puffin, and they would have worked in conjunction with Netflix because Netflix bought the Roald Dahl Story Company. Um, So they actually hold the rights to the books. I suspect that there are kind of commercial reasons at play. Apparently, these changes did start to be made before Netflix became involved with the Roald Dahl Story Company. But even before that, I suspect that the company was thinking about how can we keep these stories relevant? So it kind of makes sense in that way that they would do that. Um, And we know they actually employed a company called Inclusive Minds as well to help them they offer I think what people have been referring to as a sensitivity reading service um, it's not clear that that's actually what they've done or whether they've just kind of offered advice but essentially they have been helping to advise on these changes well can you explain what a sensitivity reader is and why they're being used in the publishing industry so Sensitivity readers essentially are people who have a lived experience, you know, usually of being a minority in some way. So whether that would be disabled or if they're black or uh, trans or gay or queer in some way, you know, that's not that's not an exhaustive list. But basically, then they can be employed by publishers to read manuscripts and give advice essentially on things that they might change or things that they suggest you might change to make the text more inclusive. Often it's as much about the publisher and the author covering their own backs (laughs) as it is about trying to do the right thing. You know, most publishers and most authors don't want to upset people with what they're writing and publishing. And also if they do, that's going to lose them sales. So it's, you know, it's kind of moral and also pragmatic. The decision has been, as we've said, divisive. How have other authors been responding? Yeah, I mean, it's not surprising that it's divisive, to be honest, because I think that, you know, the current climate when it comes to social affairs or culture wars or whatever you want to call it is especially ripe for arguments like this at the moment. Laura Hackett in the Sunday Times, um, she wrote a column where she said the editors at Puffin should be ashamed of the botched surgery they've carried out on some of the finest children's literature in Britain. Um, And Salman Rushdie tweeted, um, Roald Dahl was no angel, but this is absurd censorship. Puffin books and the Dahl estate should be ashamed. Meanwhile, children's author Philip Pullman uh, 
went on Radio 4 and kind of gave a different view. If Dahl offends us, let him, let him go out of print. That's mm-hmm. what I'd say. Mm-hmm. Read Frank Cox instead. Real fi- read Phil Earl, S.F. Said, Francis Harding, Michael Moore Pogo, Mallory Blackman. Read, read Minnie Gray, Helen Cooper, Jackie Wilson, Beverly Do. Read all these wonderful authors who are writing today who don't get as much of a look in because of the massive commercial gravity of people like Roald Dahl. So that was his view. And I suppose it's just, it's just the kind of thing that, that gets people riled up particularly because a lot of people have a lot of nostalgia for the books that um, Roald Dahl wrote. David Baddiel, you're a comedian and you're also a very successful children's author. You sold more than a million copies of your books, right? Yeah. Did you read Roald Dahl when you were little? Yeah, I think I read Charlie the Chocolate Factory and I think I read Matilda. And I've also, over the years, watched the films that have been made out of him. I'm a big fan of Matilda the Musical. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that Roald Dahl is a very great children's storyteller. You know, he, he set the template, really, for children's stories. And all of that is nothing to do with the fact that he was a vicious anti-Semite, uh, which is something you haven't mentioned uh, in my lead-up to me, which is that I am, of course, also someone who, for better or worse, has become something of an activist around issues to do with Jewishness. And so Roald Dahl, you know, figures in all of those things in a strange way. Well, yes, and I definitely want to get to that. You know, it does sound like, at least in terms of his writing style, you've been quite a fan. What did you think when you heard the news that some of his language had been changed or that words had been omitted? So I'm going to have to keep bringing up the Jewish thing because I think it was sort of my way into it was slightly different from most people because of that. You know, I tend not to defend Roald Dahl that much because he is unfortunately a great example of what I call the Jews don't count phenomenon in that, you know, he's really a top-notch anti-Semite. He basically is someone who said in an interview that the Holocaust was something that can be pinned to some extent to Jewish responsibility. He said even a stinker like Hitler wouldn't have done what he did without a reason. And there's a long tradition in anti-Semitic thought of people saying that Jews are essentially responsible for their own misfortune rather than something visited upon them by majority cultures who always scapegoat a minority culture. And he did he did admit it, didn't he, in uh, an interview shortly before his death. He did say himself, I am anti-Semitic. Yeah, no, he obviously is like really in a very bad kind of strain of anti-Semitism. So what I feel is that if you're going to talk about, and to get on to what's happened recently, separating the art from the artist for me he's like a very good example because if i can separate his art if i can go continue to say that he is a very great children's storyteller which i think he is whilst knowing that as a man he's responsible for promoting a very dangerous tradition of anti-semitism that would allow me to say look i am someone who basically can separate art from artists and i don't think his book should be taken off the shelf uh, and i think he should be continued to be celebrated as a as a writer but not as a man the reason these changes have been made is, at least to some extent, though, to try and keep up with the prevailing attitudes of the time now, which are different to when Dahl wrote those books decades ago. You know, when you're writing your books, do you work with sensitivity readers to try and give you a sense of the experiences that your readers might be going through and how to be sensitive to those? Not the children's books. When Jews Don't Count came out in America, it had a sensitivity read. 
Um, interestingly enough, from a Jews Don't Count point of view, it went to a company that does sensitivity reads that had a sensitivity reader for almost every minority, but not for Jews. And so that's very typical of the issue. But for the children's books, firstly, I am hyper aware, I think, of all the issues that might cause offence. And my publishers are also hyper aware of that. And what we come to normally is a, as long as it doesn't affect the basic story of the comedy, you know, I'm, I'm happy to accommodate those things because I'm not interested in offending anyone for the sake of it, saying, like in the children's books. But my own sense of humour is, isn't, certainly not with children, isn't going to be as dark and cruel as Roald Dahl's. That's what he was like as a person. So I'm not, I'm not completely against what's happened. I think it's been done in a pretty ham-fisted way. Oh, ham-fisted how? You know, one of the things about Dahl is he was a good writer. He knew how to land a joke. Part of how he landed a joke was often by hitting words like ugly or fat in ways that would feel like, okay, you know, he said that in a way that he's definitely going to get a laugh from someone who's got, which children often do, a sort of cruelish sense of humour. And the trouble is if you take all that out and you just sort of like smooth it out and you leave those words out completely, the actual writing can feel like not like Dahl at all anymore. Just as an example, the bit about um, the wigs in Witches, right? Mm. So there's a bit where, for anyone who doesn't know, I think Dahl says that, you know, wigs always are where witches and you should try and pull the wigs off their heads. And that has been changed to a line which is just something like, and a lot, a lot of women do wear wigs uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. And of course, that's completely right. But unfortunately, from a sort of devilish, naughty point of view, that is not a very good line. They haven't found a way of keeping the naughtiness of Dahl saying, oh, you should pull off their wigs from the witches. You've got to try and find a way of keeping the naughtiness and the dark joy of that without just saying something improving, like a lot of people wear wigs and there's nothing wrong with that. There's no laugh there. Right. It's a very tricky balancing act, isn't it? And I noticed you you mentioned earlier his use of the word fat, and that is something that you've used in your books as well. I know the person controller, for example, one of your books you describe one of the characters, Eric Stone, as fat, and that word comes up repeatedly. You know, if you were writing that book now, would you still use that word? Probably. I mean, he's a parent. He's not a kid. I wouldn't have had a, a fat child in any of my books, I think, or a child who was being, you know, in any way being made fun of for being fat. He's a parent, and he's kind of a joyful figure. I am not of the opinion, and this is a complex opinion today, that laughter always means mockery. This is a very key point of our times. I would say Eric Stone is a character who is totally celebrated in that book, in his side, in his bacon sandwiches. He loves doing that. And he's a very affectionately written figure, you see. And you can do that with characters who are oversized or characters who are not conventionally attractive. All sorts of ways you can do that. I don't think Dahl did do that. I think Dahl did it generally for those people to be laughed at. In a, in a mocking way. That was part of his nastiness. But I don't think that, Punching down. Yeah, but I don't think that's always the case. And I think that is a, something that is really complicated when people just say, oh, he's used this word. I don't agree with that. I think you have to look at the whole context and who is being laughed at and how laughter may not mean mockery. Lucy, how unusual is it for somebody's work to be changed after they've died it's not that unusual to make changes this is quite a lot of changes i would say um in one go so i think that's why it's been picked up as quite notable and also obviously dal is such a household name that people really really care more than they might care about other books but i know that agatha christie's and then there were none used to have the n-word in its title which obviously 
it doesn't anymore. There's been several changes to Enid Blyton's books, for example. So I know um, the name Fanny has been changed to Franny um, and uh, the Noddy books have been changed too. Other authors are obviously having sensitivity readers look at their work contemporaneously. What sense do you get of whether writers welcome their involvement? Lionel Shriver, who wrote We Need to Talk About Kevin, she has said that she would basically rather not write at all than have sensitivity readers look at her work. And they go through manuscripts looking for anything that might might be offensive to these communities. And I'm sure they always find them because that's that's the nature of the job. If you are looking to be offended, you always succeed. Um, and besides which, these people have to justify their employments. I gather it's a nice little earner. And there seems to be a, a general feeling from certain authors that they're being sanitized or, you know, that their work is, is being changed against their will. Whereas actually, if you speak to authors who have used uh, sensitivity readers, it doesn't seem like they're being forced to do anything they don't want to do. So Irvin Welsh, train spotting author, he used uh, sensitivity readers because of some trans characters in his crime novel, The Long Night, and he's not trans himself, so he went to a sensitivity reader about it. I was kind of concerned that, you know, this would be a censorship thing, but it wasn't anything to do with that at all. It was basically, uh, you know, it was. I found it uh, a very positive um, process. It was very, very educative for me. Coming up, David Baddiel on writing his mistakes. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Today in Focus. David, surely the big reason that people are so bothered about these changes is because when you look at the children's book market, very few authors dominate the top of those charts, you know, and Dahl is still one of them 32 years after his death. You know, if there were books available widely from a bigger variety of authors who offer naturally a multiplicity of experiences and viewpoints that were available at every supermarket, I don't think people would care so much about this, would they? Uh, I think that's probably right. I mean, definitely the children's book market needs to be more diverse. Um, I do my best to include diverse characters in my books. Uh, you can get into issues with that because, of course, you can get accused of appropriation. But nonetheless, uh, I always include people of color characters. And most a lot of my books have got disabled characters. I wrote a book called um, The Taylor Turbo Chaser, in which the main character is a disabled girl. And it's not actually me being desperately trying to be virtuous. I just do want to include as much of a range of experience if I'm going to write 10 books as possible. Otherwise, it's dull. And what research do you do to try and understand the experiences of those characters? Um, not much. I, I trust myself, to be honest. And if, if you look at the responses I've had to the Taylor Turbo Chaser, every single response I've had to that book from disabled children or the parents of disabled children is, oh, thank you for doing this. This sounds like I'm blowing my own trumpet, but it is true. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for not making the, the disabled character someone who is cured of their disability at the end. For whatever reason, it has felt to the people reading it, who are the born people, that that is a real representation of a disabled character's experience, even though I wish to fulfill that situation. Mm. And that is because I trust myself that I'm not going to write cliches and stereotypes as much as possible. But obviously, I might get it wrong. I'm not saying that I'm always going to get that right. Do you think you ever have got it wrong? Probably. I probably have. And probably now that you've mentioned Eric Stone, who I hadn't thought about, probably someone will say, you know, that that's body fascist, Eric Stone. And who am I to say that he isn't to someone who's offended by it? But I mean, I don't think I have got it wrong that much and I think I write with an awareness of these things. You are a very self-reflective person and you've gone back through and looked at things that that you wouldn't do today like in the 90s when you wore blackface to make a joke about the footballer Jason Lee and you've apologised to him about that. Yes. You know societal attitudes change with time and people yeah. do realise their mistakes. No, absolutely. So, so do you think really that books shouldn't also change to reflect that? I think that the context should change. I don't know that books should completely change. Books should be presented with an awareness of the time in which they were written and as much historical and contextual information should be given. And some things that are just incredibly offensive, Agatha Christie used the N-word, etc., etc., should definitely be changed. Uh, but I think that sensitivity readers should also be good writers. That's what I'm saying. I think that if you're going to change Roald Dahl, he was a genius. And so I think, therefore, since the people who are changing his words, it's okay to change his words, actually. I don't completely agree with anyone who says, oh, no, they're sacrosanct, they should never be changed. Maybe some of his words should be changed, but they should be changed by people who understand that style of writing, understand how to make it still funny, still devilish, not bland, and then they can take out the stuff that might be really horrible but still make it dull-like. And that's what I'm not seeing in these particular changes. David, thank you so much. My pleasure. That was David Baddiel. 
Thank you to him and to Lucy Knight, who's been writing about this debacle and much more. There are lots of brilliant features and interviews by her at theguardian.com. This episode was produced by Natalie Ktena with production support from Sami Gedge-Soyler. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producers are Hummer Khalili and Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.